Romans chapter number 12. Romans chapter number 12. I'm going to try, if I can, to stay behind this pulpit. I don't know if I'll be able to. We're uh, getting our microphone worked on, our headset mic that we wear. It's got a short in the wire, and that's uh, the cause of the popping that we've been having in some of our services. And uh, you thought it was just people getting happy, but no, it was uh, a headset microphone. So we're getting that worked on. We're going to use this. Hopefully, just have to use it for one service, but I'm going to try, if I can, to stay tethered here. don't know if I'll be able to. Romans chapter number 12. I want to read some very familiar verses, just two of them to you tonight. And I want to talk about just a few thoughts from this verse, these verses that the Lord has laid on my heart. Verse 1 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Let's pray together tonight. Heavenly Father, thank You for this day. Thank You for the breath that You've given us to breathe, Lord. Thank You for the life that You've given us to live. Thank You for the salvation full and free paid for by Your Son. Now, Lord, help us as we draw our attention and our hearts upon Your Word. Lord, to lay ourselves open before You. Allow You to do the work through the Holy Ghost in our hearts that's much needed. Now, Father, I'm asking You to direct my words and my thoughts. Lord, and to use me, give me the power and unction of the Holy Ghost. Father, make these words real to the hearts of the hearers. Lord, if you'll do this, we'll be sure to thank you, to give you the glory and honor. Father, we love you so much. We thank you for Calvary. Lord, we love you because you first loved us. We ask all of this in the precious and magnificent name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I think I would be safe in probably saying that every person in this room has read these two verses at one time or another. I think I might even be safe in saying that most everybody in this room has heard sermons preached on these two verses. But, you know, as I read the Word of God, I find that these two verses present to us one of the chief problems in the spiritual walk of the vast majority of Christians in this day that we live in. And as I read these verses, there's a few thoughts I want to draw to your attention. But let me just say a quick word about the fact that Paul is making this plea and making this command to believers. And I want to draw your attention to a thought that I think is important. How many of you have made the prayer before and prayed before God and asked Him to cleanse you and asked Him to help you to live right and asked Him to do in you what needs to be done? Something along those lines. How many of you would say, preacher, I've done that before? Sure, we have. And I believe that God is able to do that. And I believe that without God's help, we cannot do that. But can I draw your attention tonight that, that Paul is not commanding them to pray for this, but is commanding them to actively do this. He's not saying you need to pray that God will help you to present your body. He's not saying you need to pray that God will make it easy for you to present your body. He's not saying you need to pray that the circumstances will be advantageous for you to present your body. But Paul uses a very strong word and he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren. Paul says this isn't something you have to pray about. This is just something you've got to do. And I think we have a real emphasis today 
on praying for help from the Lord. And I think it's important. I think we have a, a place and a throne room where we can go boldly and, and, and plead and beg for the help and grace that we need in a time of need. And I, I'm thankful tonight that we can do that. But brethren, let's not over-spiritualize the practicality of the spiritual walk. You can pray all you want that you'll be sanctified, but until you get separated, you're not going to live like God would want you to live. You can pray and plead and beg God to take things away from you. But if you won't lay it down, it won't get took away from you. And you can ask God to do all kinds of things. And I, you know, I've heard people say, well, God helps those that, that can help themselves. And I, I contend with that. I, I believe God helps those that can't help themselves. But I also understand that you and I, brethren, we have a responsibility too. A lot of times we like to take that responsibility and place it on God's shoulders and say, Lord, you need to do this in my life. When God says, I've given you all things that pertain unto life, and what does He say? And godliness. And it's up to you to exercise them. It's up to you to put them in practice. I want us to just notice three thoughts tonight. And I want us to take a moment and think about the premise by which Paul is making this plea. I'll, I'll readily admit this is a tall order for anybody. And especially in such a sin-sick and carnal world, and such a Laodicean church as we live in today, this is a tall order. I mean, if you're going to be godly, if you're going to be separated, if you're going to live for Jesus Christ, if you're going to present... And by the way, it, it interests me that it does not say to present your mind. Now, I think we ought to present our minds. And the Bible teaches us very clearly that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty to the pulling down of strongholds and casting down every imagination and every evil thing uh, that exalteth itself against Christ and bringing into subjection every thought. I, I believe our minds need to be subjected to the Lord. And I believe our souls need to be subjected to the Lord. But let me just say this as a youth pastor and as a man that dealt with young people and as a man that has pastored and deals with people. And let me say that there's a lot of us, our bodies need to be brought under subjection objection to. The things we do, the places we go, the things we say, the things we watch. There's a lot of this that our body needs to be presented as a sacrifice. And I believe we're missing the boat in that realm. And I, I think we have pulled so hard against legalism that sometimes we've, we've dived off into the ditch of carnality. We've been so scared that someone's going to call us a legalist because we preach standards and because we preach separated living that we've thrown out Bible Christianity and the power that comes along with living for Jesus Christ because we don't want anybody to accuse us of being a legalist. Uh, probably legalism is the most misused word in the English language. Uh, people throw this word around, legalist, and it's kind, of like, it's kind of like the word racist. You can get anything you want in this world by calling somebody a racist. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter what they've done. You call them a racist and they'll back down. Well, for Bible-believing Christians, you call them a legalist and they'll shut their mouth, it seems. But, brethren, I think it's time we take a stand for living separated for Jesus Christ. And it doesn't matter whether the world understands that. Paul says, I beseech you. In other words, you have a responsibility to do this. Paul says, I beg with you, I plead with you, I lay the evidence before you and ask you to judge for yourself and see whether it's righteous to do this. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. Think about that little phrase, the mercies of God. I think that's the premise that Paul is speaking of. In fact, he says it very specifically there. How is he beseeching them? When Paul convinces them to live for Jesus Christ... What is the evidence he lays out before them? What is the premise? He says, by the mercies of God. It's interesting to me, Brother Ralph, that it's plural. It doesn't say the mercy of God, but it says the mercies of God. 
And I got to thinking about the kind of mercies that God gives us. And can I say a word about some reasons that we ought to serve Jesus Christ tonight? Can I say that we're not short on reasons to serve Jesus Christ? In fact, there's so many reasons that Paul calls this our reasonable. It's reasonable. In fact, Paul says there's so many reasons that it reckons this reasonable that we should serve Jesus Christ. Can I say that we ought to serve Christ because of His past mercies in our life? You know it, friend, that we ought to be in hell tonight? I I, I mean, I, I don't mean we just ought to be on our way to hell. I mean we ought to be in hell tonight. When old Jonathan Edwards preached on sinners in the hands of an angry God, and he likened the sinner uh, to a spider being dangled over the flames of hell, and they're ever licking at that little thin strand that could snap it in a moment and be cast into an eternal hell. I think he got it right, neighbor. It's God's mercy that gave us an opportunity to live long enough to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was God's mercy that put you in a Bible-believing country or a Bible-preaching country. It was God's mercies that gave you a gospel preacher that gave you the Word of God. It was God's mercies that allowed you to have a soul winner to give you a tractor, to give you the gospel. It was God's mercies that had people praying for your soul. It was God's mercies that gave you breath in your body and a voice to cry out to God and a mind to understand the gospel. That was the mercy of God that... It was the mercy of God that a ten-year-old boy came to know Christ. I didn't deserve that. You say, what kind of of meanness could a ten-year-old get into? You don't know very many ten-year-olds, amen? (laughs) They can get into lots of things. But I'll be honest with you, as a ten-year-old boy in a Christian school and in a Bible home and in a Bible church, I wasn't into a lot of outward sins. But you know that people don't die and go to hell because of outward sins. They die and go to hell because they have a sin nature. Because they're born, sold into sin. And I deserve to die and go to hell. It was the mercy of God that put me under a Bible preacher. It was the mercy of God. Hey, it was the mercy of God that let my parents be taken a nap. So that I'd be left alone with the convicting power of the Holy Ghost. Alone in my bedroom. For Him to speak softly to my heart. Whisper in my ear and say, Son, if you died right now, where would you go? That was the mercy of God. We could go around each and every instance. And if you stop and just backtrack the the tremendous, the miraculous things, almost like planets shifting into alignment that were uh, taking place so that you could hear the gospel, you'd, you'd probably have to cry out with me and say, it was the mercies of God that allowed me to be saved. I believe His past mercies. But I believe not only His past mercies, that'd be enough. You know it. You know, if God never did another solitary thing for you and I, He still, we owe Him our lives. We owe Him every minute of every day, and we owe Him the absolute best of every minute of every day. We owe Him everything. If it was just for His past mercies, that would be sufficient. But, I, you know, it's a plural here, mercies. And I think about my life, and I think about His past mercies, but I think about His present mercies as well. Uh, Jeremiah in the book of Lamentations as he walked uh, through a city that was in mayhem and chaos. Walking through a war zone. I mean, walking through the beloved city, the daughter of God. Walking through Zion that had been laid waste. He cried out and said, it's of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. You know what he said? He said, his mercy is new every morning. 
great is thy faithfulness. Even if we don't want to serve God for our past mercies, and that ought to be enough, stop and consider. And we talked about that. That's, I guess that's why the Holy Ghost had me let us do a few testimonies before the service. He knew he was going to use it. Amen. Think about the things he's done for you today. Uh, I don't know anybody that lives in Walridge Baptist Church, and I don't know anybody that walked here so you got in a car. That in and of itself is enough to put a lot of people in a grave. I was driving the other night. I don't ever get home till late, particularly on church nights. I, most Sunday nights, uh, end of the night, we don't get home until after midnight. And we were driving home, I guess it was about 1 o'clock uh, Monday morning, Sunday night, Monday morning. We are going through halls. I don't know what happened, but... Uh, but I looked and I saw all across Mainerville Highway, if you're a night owl and you was out at that time too, you saw it as well, ambulances and police cars and fire trucks. You may have saw it on the news. I never did hear what it was. But that was somebody, that was somebody that was met with a sure and swift fate. Why hadn't that been me? I was getting ready to pass through that same stretch of road. You ever had one of these times, I don't know, you're probably more spiritual than me. I know I'm carnal. Nobody's carnal as a Baptist preacher. But uh, there'll be a few times I'll, I'll get out of the house and, and I tell you, if, there, if there's anything, if you could lose your salvation, I would do it on the interstate. Now, you can't, but if you could, that's where I would. Because I'll get on the interstate and I'll get behind somebody and you know how it goes. Everybody that drives around you, if they go slower than you, they're, they're, uh, you know, they're, they're an old person. If they go faster than you, they're a madman. Amen. And that's kind of how we think. But I'll be going down the interstate and I'll get behind somebody that's slow and I'll just, I mean, I'll get in the flesh and I'm mad and I'm angry and I'm looking at my wife and I'm, I'm trying to blame her for it for some reason and, and I just, I'm in a bad mood and I, and then it doesn't take long. I get up there a little ways and there's a fresh wreck. That could have been me. That could have been me. That could have been me piled up with my neck broke. That could have been me piled up and headed out of this world and headed for eternity. It's just the Lord's mercies we survive day to day. How many people do you know that have died of an aneurysm? Somebody didn't even know they had, just in a moment. How many people do you know that seem to be the picture of hell and all of a sudden that heart that God had started some many years before just stopped in a moment? Just stopped. It's the Lord's mercies that we even survive this crazy world. It's of the Lord's mercies. Some of you have children. It's of the Lord's, it's of the Lord's mercies if they're saved. If they're saved in this world that we live in, with all that the world has, with all that the devil throws, listen to me, the devil wants to send your children to hell, lock, stock, and barrel. And if you've got young'uns that know Christ, you ought to rejoice in that. It's of the Lord's mercies that that's the case. Grandchildren that know Christ, it's of the Lord's mercies that that's the case. Day by day, we got food on our table, shoes on our feet. We're blessed beyond all imagination. Hey, that ought to be enough to serve him, don't you think so? I mean, listen, some of you, uh, you've worked for the same place for a lot of years. And you go in and you put eight, in eight hours or, or ten hours and you work hard and somebody asks you, well, why do you do that? Why do you go into that job and why have you stuck there so many years? Because they take good care of their employees. Can I tell you that the Lord takes good care of His children? I think we ought to give them everything that we've got, don't you? I, I think that ought to be enough, just His present mercies in our life. But I see something else and this this encourages me. I think about his perpetual mercies. You know what the psalmist said? Psalms 23. He said, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Hey, it ought to be enough what God's done for us. 
And it ought to be enough what God does for us. But this ought to be enough to do a backflip, neighbor, to think about what God will do for us. He's promised us He's going to take care of us. Nobody else in the world has that. I mean, I don't care. I, the, the person that thinks the federal government's going to take care of them for the rest of their life, there's a day coming when it's going to be done with. There's a day coming this dollar's going to implode. There's a day coming the whole thing's going to collapse. And this government that people are serving is going to fail them. My God's never going to fail me. I have been young and now I am old, yet have I never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. David says, in all my life, in all the things that I've seen, I've seen kingdoms rise, I've seen kingdoms fall, I've seen great men die, I've seen shepherd boys, anointed kings, I've seen a lot of things, but I've never seen one of God's children go hungry or lose everything that he had. He's always been took care of. God's made a promise to you. If these things, what shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? All things work together for good. To them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. That's a thrilling thought, isn't it? I mean, what doubt, what anxiety should we have in serving God when we know that God is going to take care of us? What doubt should we have to give everything to Jesus Christ, knowing that Christ will meet our every need? What anxiety should we have? So Paul says, I think about the premise of this. I think about all the things that God has done for us. Paul says, I think it's reasonable that we serve Him. But how do we serve Him? I want you to notice not only the premise, but notice what he says. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. We see the presentation that we're called to make. There's a lot we could say about this. and There's a lot we could talk about the Old Testament priesthood and the presentation of the sacrifice. But I just want to look at that word present or that word presentation. And, and I want to look at the confidence that we should have in presenting ourselves. It's interesting that it does not say we are to offer ourselves. There's other places where the Bible deals with that. But here it does not say we're to offer ourselves, but it says we're to present ourselves. Because in the language of the priesthood, to offer something meant to take it and to draw the blade across its neck and to give it as a sacrifice. But it does not say we're to do that. It says we're to present it. Now, if I present you with something, and I, I might come along and I might present you with a $20 bill, Ralph. I'm not going to do that. But if I did, you know what I'm saying by doing that? I, you know, I, I like gift cards, and I'm, I'm not too proud to take anything. If you want to get me a gift card, you go right ahead. I'll love it. I'll enjoy it. But there's, there's no gift like money. Somebody say amen right there. <laughs> you, you can spend that money anywhere. And uh, there's a lot of places that you go, and you go to return something, and they won't give you money. They'll give you a gift card. You know why they do that? They want to know you're going to spend it with them. And they give you that gift card. Now, in my mind, that's like offering something. I mean, you're giving someone something, but you're dictating the use of it. But now, if I come and I just present a $20 bill to you, Ralph, you know what I'm saying? I'm saying, Ralph, this $20 bill belongs to you, and you can do anything that you want with it. You know, that ought to be the way we give ourselves to Jesus Christ. You know what a lot of people do in this world that we live in? A lot of people are happy to give their life to Christ as long as they know what He's going to do with it. A lot of people are happy to give their money to God as long as they know what He's going to do with it. 
A lot of people are happy to give God their time as long as they know what He's going to do with it. But let me tell you something, neighbor. Total surrender is just that. It's total surrender. Paul says when you give yourself to Jesus Christ, you give yourself lock, stock, and barrel for whatever He has for your life. Now, I know that seems like a little bit too much to ask in this day of casual Christianity and carnality that we live in, but Paul says it's reasonable. You know why it's reasonable? Because you're just a dead dog, just like me anyway. I, I mean, me and you, friend, if, if, if God hadn't intervened, we'd be in hell with our neck broke, next door neighbors to each other tonight. That's where we'd be if it wasn't for God's mercies. We as good as dead anyway. If we draw a breath, it's the gift of God. I believe we ought to give it to Him. See, the problem with this thing is this ownership business. We think we own us. Let me tell you something. You've never owned you. And you never will own you. Before you saved, you sold into sin and your daddy was the devil. And that's who owned you. When you got born again, you was bought with a price. Your body became the temple of the Holy Ghost. And you belong to a new master. You're still a bond slave. You're still a servant. But you've changed management. You've got a heavenly father and a heavenly master. You're still sold. You're just sold for a higher price to a better master. You don't own you tonight any more than I own me. And I'll tell you what's sending this world to hell, and, and we've instilled it in our young people. I don't know why it has come into our minds that when they turn 18, they need to be cut loose. Do you have enough sense to run your life at 18? Do you have enough sense to run it on your own now? Truth of the matter is, you don't, neither do I. We need somebody to run it for us. We need the Lord to do that. But we've instilled this in our young people. Well, your life belongs to you. We wonder why they're going to hell in droves. We've instilled in their mind, well, it's your life, you live it how you want to. No, friend. The Bible says if we live or if we die, it's unto the Lord. We don't belong to us, we belong to Him. The reason we have trouble letting go of that tithe money is because we think it belongs to us, but it doesn't. The reason we have trouble letting go of our time is we think it belongs to us, but it doesn't. The reason we have trouble letting go of our energies is because we think it belongs to us, but it doesn't. The reason we have trouble uh, giving ourselves over to godly standards is because we think that we ought to have the say in our lives, but we don't and we shouldn't. We belong to Jesus Christ tonight. We're His. He bought and paid for us. Me and you both, neighbor. He bought and paid for us. The question is, is He getting what He paid for? He bought us all, every bit of us. Is He getting all and every bit of us? We can have confidence. And when we surrender our life to Jesus Christ, it ought not be with stipulations. Nobody ever did anything great for God by putting stipulations on Him. You hear me tonight? Nobody ever did anything great for God by putting stipulations on the Lord. Never. You know the people that did great things for God? People that laid themselves as a sacrifice. And they, they didn't come and want God to rubber stamp the will of, of themselves for their life. But they laid themselves open. They said, God, I'm yours. Take all of me. It all belongs to you. God, take all of it and use it for your glory. We see the confidence that Paul speaks of. We ought to have confidence as we give our bodies to Jesus Christ and give ourselves uh, to the Lord that He's going to do what needs to be done. But I want you to notice not only the confidence, I like that, the confidence, but I want you to notice also the consecration that's required. Holy, acceptable unto God. I, you know, I'm thankful the Lord can take broken things and make them new, aren't you? I'm thankful. Everybody okay tonight? I, everybody's awful quiet. I, I'm thankful the Lord can take broken things and make them new again. 
I'm thankful the Lord can take broken lives and piece them back together. But let me tell you something tonight, and I say this particularly to our young people. Don't get yourself more scars than you have to. Don't mess your life up. Don't mess your life up. God can put it back together, but don't mess it up. There ain't no sense in it. And, and, and the people that got saved at a later age would tell you the very same thing. I saved as a 10-year-old boy, and I got into more than I wish I had got into. But I'm awful thankful I was saved as a 10-year-old boy. It saved me a lot of heartache that a lot of people go through. I'm thankful that God allowed that in my life. But let me say, no matter what situation you're in, the view and the mindset ought to be this. Notice this phrase. Acceptable unto God. Acceptable unto God. I don't know about you. Some of you all have worked in, in the building business at times. I know Bill used to build houses and some of the other ones. I'm sure you've, you've done building and, and maybe electrical and things like that. And uh, You know, if you're going to build a house or do any kind of work, you have to go down to the city and sometimes the county or I guess the county and sometimes the city. And you have to find out if the things that you're doing are up to code. Is that correct? I mean, you can't just build a house and hope it's up to code, but it's got to be up to code. Do you know why that is? Because you're building that house to be acceptable in their sight. They have certain guidelines and rules and standards. And if you want them to accept it, if you want it to be acceptable in their sight, you've got to find out from them what they expect. Let me tell you what a lot of people have done in Christianity today. I'm talking Bible-believing churches. A lot of people have formulated their own standards and ideals and guidelines and then come to God to find out if He's okay with them. Instead of going to God first and saying, Lord, what's going to be acceptable in your sight? I hear people say things like this all the time. Well, I just worship God in my own way, and He might reject it in His own way. When is it about your way? It's not about your way any more than it's about my way. This thing ain't about me or you. It's about Him tonight. It ain't about us. And particularly when we're speaking of a sacrifice, there's pretty stringent guidelines for an Old Testament sacrifice. You couldn't sacrifice just anything. It had to be a perfect, spotless, uh, blemishless lamb. It had to be a particular content, but it had to be a particular offering as well. It was given in a certain way. And I don't know about you, friend, but I I just don't think God is interested in self-worship tonight. I think He's interested in in worship of Him. I think He's interested in us doing things the way He wants. We may not understand it. We may not see it. We may say, that's not my way. But there is a way that seemeth right unto a man, and the ends thereof are the ways of death. Never have we lived in a day where man has sought to superimpose his will upon God's will. It's not about it being acceptable in our sight. It's not about it being acceptable in the, in the world's sight. My goodness, we live in a day where if the world's not okay with it, Bible Christians will run from it like it's the plague. I mean, we live in a day where, and, and by the way, that word sacrifice, you know, I hear a lot of people say, and let's just go ahead and preach it this way. We see the cost of this sacrifice spoken of. People say, well, that's going to cost me too much. What do you think a sacrifice is? Sacrifice is just that. It's going to cost you something. I'm convinced we've not even started to give until it hurts. I'm convinced we've not even started to live for Him until we've lost people over it. I'm convinced we've not even started to witness people until it's cut into our entertainment time. Until it's cost us something, it's not been a sacrifice. Maybe a gift, but it's not a sacrifice. If it's a sacrifice, it's going to cost us something. 
People say, well, you know, it's just not comfortable sometimes. People look at me funny when I, and I got, I, I mean, I'm going to be honest. People look at us funny no matter what. Amen. You look like I do. People are going to look at you funny. But, uh, you know, people say, well, people look at me funny if I start talking about Jesus Christ. Well, boo-hoo. You're not here for you. You're here for Him. You're not here for you. You're not here for them. You're here for Him. It might cost you some friends. It might cost you. It, it might. Hey, God may even ask you to give sometimes in a way that it hurts a little bit. You know, he, He'll always meet the need. Always, always. I know this isn't popular, but it's Bible. Bible giving is not measured by what's given, it's measured by what's left. Wasn't that the story of the widow's mite? The widow gave her mite, her, 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 just her two pence, her little bit, and it wasn't much, and probably much couldn't have been done with it, with human instrumentality and with human hands. But our Lord and Savior, He looked at that widow's mite and said, she's given more than any of you have given. Why? Not because of what she gave, but because of what she had left. It was all she had. God doesn't need our money. God wants us. He knows most of the time the way to a Baptist heart is through his wallet. Amen? Now, we've got to be willing to give. And I'm not just talking about financially, but I'm talking about our time. I'm talking about our energies. I'm talking about our efforts. I'm talking about our popularity and our prestige. It's going to have to cost us something. But, you know, at the end of the day, it ain't ours anyway because we's dead in trespasses and sins and we're bought with a price. And I want you to notice that this is a common sense thing, your reasonable service. It's just reasonable. It's just reasonable. I mean, it, it, it's, it, you know who the most unreasonable person in the world is, is the devil. Uh, the devil wants to take a Christian and cause him to live in rebellion against Almighty God who loved him and bought him and paid for him. The reasonable thing would be for us to just give everything to Jesus Christ. That's reasonable. Uh, most of you said something like this uh, when you were uh, raising your kids. And, and probably if, if your kids was like we was growing up, there were some times when they got smart aleck and said some things they ought not to. And, and maybe said, you know, I don't like these rules and, and I don't see why you do these things. And you might have said something like this. You might have said something like, as long as you slide your feet under my table, you're going to obey my rules. Or you might have said something along the lines of, as long as you're under my roof, you're going to follow my rules. You see, when you was raising your kids, you felt like it was reasonable. Since you loved them, since you brought them into this world, since you threatened to take them out of this world, amen, since you paid for them, since you gave them everything that they needed, since you sustained them, you felt like it was just reasonable that they do what you ask and obey you. That was reasonable, wasn't it? Well, let me tell you something, neighbor. Nothing's changed in the economy of God. He's given us so much and done so much for us. I think it's just common sense that we ought to serve Him. It's common sense we ought to give everything to Him. We live in a day where we need entertainment and we need pep talk and we need all the, uh, we need all the excitement and the energy of the world just to get people to grunt anymore. Used to, all it took was being saved. What's happened to us? Used to, all it took was being saved. You remember what that was like when you first got saved? And all it took was being saved? <laughs> you, you remember what it was like when you first got saved? Nobody had to give you something to shout about. You'd come up with something on your own. Nobody had to give you a reason to love on Jesus Christ. You, you just had reason enough on your own. Yeah. Uh, nobody had to give you a reason to give. Jesus Christ was reason enough. Nobody had to give you a reason to serve God. You had reason enough in Jesus Christ. Just being saved was enough. But we've just grown unsatisfied with Jesus Christ. We're not happy unless things are going our way. We've got to get over that mentality. Because it's reasonable. 
It's reasonable for us to serve Him. And it's no wonder that we've raised a generation of young people that have no concern for the house of God when they've seen uh, those of us that have lived in such a self-centered way and presented the truth that the world revolves around us. When it doesn't, neighbor, last time I checked, the world revolved around the sun. Amen? (laughs) And in God's economy, the world revolves around the sun tonight. And it's all about Him. It's all about Him. We see the premise that Paul gives. We see the presentation that he speaks of. But I want you to notice in verse number 2, and there's a lot I'm going to skip over. Somebody say amen right there. But I want to say a word about the proving that's spoken of. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, we could talk about the will of God here. We could talk about being conformed and being transformed. All those things are valid. But I want to just focus on that little word, prove. Prove. What do we mean when we say prove? We mean know by experience. That's what we mean, isn't it? If we've proved something, that means we know it by experience. It's been proven to be so. It's firsthand. It's established fact. Paul says that if you'll do this, If you'll do the reasonable thing, if you'll give yourself to Jesus Christ, if you'll give all of yourself to Him and live for Him with no stipulations, with no strings attached, if you'll go all in for Jesus Christ, turn your back on the world and be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He said, if you do this, it's going to prove something. What's it going to prove? That good and perfect and acceptable will of God. Let me make a simple statement tonight. I'm going to try to not over-preach this passage. Most people have raised the white flag on Christian living before they've ever fired the first shot at the devil. Most people have never done the first thing for Jesus Christ, and still they claim that the will of God is not perfect. Most people have never really been sold out And yet they claim that God's way won't make them happy. You find me somebody that's sold out for Jesus Christ that's miserable. Find me one person. You find me one person. Young people, young people. All my young people. All God's young people. (laughs) Find me one. Find me. And you adults, find me one young person that's sold out at a young age. One young person that gave everything, body, soul, and mind. One young person that gave their life to Jesus Christ that regrets it. Find me one. Just one. But the truth is, what most young people... I'm preaching at our young people right now. What most, most people tell you and what the world will tell you, there's no point in even trying living for Jesus Christ. It's not going to get you anywhere. You know why the devil has, has built up that lie? Because he knows what's going to happen if you try it. He knows what's going to happen. See, the devil don't want you hooked on old-time Christianity. He he doesn't want you hooked on Bible living. He doesn't want you hooked on the Holy Ghost. Because he knows you get hooked on that, nothing else will do. Nothing else will do. And for our adults, you'd be amazed. You'd be amazed how many adults. And I don't know the heart. And I don't want to know the heart. It'd terrify me. I'd never crawl out of bed again if I knew the heart of the average Baptist church member. You'd probably never crawl out of bed if you knew mine too. Amen. But there's a vast majority, I believe, of church members that have never truly sold out for Jesus Christ. Oh, they've they've got that half in, half out religion. 
They've got that cup half full religion. I mean, they've got that, I'll serve God when it's convenient, but when the going gets tough, I'm going to get going religion. But but never truly 100% sold out Bible Christianity. And then they wonder why they're unhappy. Well, if you'd do it God's way, you'd find out it'd prove it to you that it works. it prove You would know by experience the will of God. You would know by experience what? That it's good, perfect, acceptable. You would know by experience the goodness of God. You would know by experience the joy of the Holy Ghost. You would know by experience the providence and provision of God. You find me somebody that faithfully tithes, and and, and I I will guarantee you, I'm not a betting man, but if I was, I'd give you three years' paychecks, that they could tell you time and time and time and time again that God came through on time. You show me a praying person. Somebody that really prays and gets a hold of God. And I'll show you somebody that can tell you time and time and time and time again that heaven heard and answered. You show me somebody that gives the Word of God and that shares the, uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that faithfully witnesses, and they could give you time and time and time and time again that God gave them an open door of utterance with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, let me boil it down this way. You just try it and you'll find out Jesus Christ is all you'll need. You just try it and you'll find out it works. Uh, the lie that we've bought is we're listening to a bunch of people that have never really tried it telling us it don't work. We're listening to a bunch of people that don't pray telling us prayer don't work. We're listening to a bunch of people that, that don't live holy telling us that living holy don't work. We're listening to a bunch of people that don't witness telling us that witnessing don't work. Well, that don't make no sense, does it? I mean, if you're going to listen to someone, you listen to someone with experience. And you'll find if you'll give it over to Jesus Christ, you'll prove what is that good. Perfect, acceptable will of God. You'll never regret it. I'm not everything I ought to be. Anybody that knows me knows that. Anybody that really knows me really knows that. But can I say I've never regretted a day that I've lived for Jesus Christ. Never one. I've regretted some days that I didn't give everything to Him. And I've regretted some times in my life that I fought against the will of God. And I've regretted some times in my life that I didn't put my trust in Him. But I have never regretted a time when I've put my faith in Jesus Christ and lived for Him. I've never regretted a moment of that. Never one moment. Why is it so difficult to get us to serve God? It's a reasonable service. I think it's an entitlement mentality. I think we think we belong to us. But if you'll get this truth tonight, church, that you don't belong to you, you have no claim on you, the only reason you're drawing breath right now is because of the past and the present and will be because of the perpetual mercies of God. If you'll get that in your mind, if you'll get that premise, you'll find it's pretty reasonable to serve Jesus Christ tonight. It's pretty reasonable to give to Him. It's pretty reasonable to serve Him. It's pretty reasonable to witness to Him. It's pretty reasonable to praise Him. It's a pretty reasonable thing. Paul said it's reasonable. And I found in my experience it ain't always easy, but it's always reasonable. And if we get a hold of that truth tonight, it'd change our lives eternally.